Good evening. A, title, a titan in the struggle against apartheid in South Africa dies. His last message. Why is the world silent about apartheid in Israel? The pace quickens around a new nuclear deal with Iran, and a slur gets through to the president. With these and other stories, I'm Paul Durienza with the WBAI News for Sunday, December 26, 2021. The world's largest and most powerful space telescope blasted off Saturday on a journey back to the beginning of the universe and time itself. And we have engine start. And liftoff. Decollage, liftoff from a tropical rainforest to the edge of time itself. James Webb begins a voyage back to the birth of the universe. Punching a hole through the clouds, 20 seconds into the flight, good pitch program reported. Some of our team has been down here since September. They've hung in there, thought they would make it home for Christmas, including yours truly. But we're certainly home for Christmas in spirit and physically uh, very soon. I can tell you in general that what we will do is look at specific targets that will really demonstrate the capability of this, looking both uh, at exoplanets but also at specific cosmic targets that we think will really reveal new science. And those were some voices from NASA after the launch of the James Webb telescope yesterday. The giant gold-plated mirrors will unfold on the million-mile journey to the so-called Lagrange point, a place where gravity balances out. From that perch, the telescope will bring new discoveries about the nature of the Big Bang from which the universe evolved. With cameras more sensitive than any other in space, the James Webb telescope, named after a NASA icon, will also look for planets orbiting other stars than our sun searching for signs of life. And Desmond Tutu, South Africa's Nobel Peace Prize winning icon and uncompromising foe of apartheid and a modern day activist for racial justice and LGBT rights, died Sunday. That's today at 90. South Africans, world leaders and people around the globe mourn the death of the man viewed as the country's moral conscience. Tutu worked passionately, tirelessly and nonviolently to tear down apartheid, South Africa's brutal decades long regime of oppression against its black majority. It only ended in 1994. The buoyant, blunt-spoken clergyman used his pulpit as the first black bishop of Johannesburg and later as the Anglican Archbishop of Cape Town, as well as frequent public demonstrations to galvanize public opinion against racial inequity both at home and globally. Upon coming president, becoming president in 1994, Nelson Mandela, who had spent decades in prison, appointed Tutu to be chairman of the country's Truth and Reconciliation Commission, which uncovered the abuses of apartheid. Tutu also introduced Mandela at his inauguration with the following prayer. Before our very eyes, we see a miracle unfolding and our dreams becoming reality as the sun shines on a new dawn for us all, black and white together. Thank you, God, for freeing our country from racism and oppression and for liberating all our people. Thank you for the courage of those who initiated change. Thank you for bringing those who were previously enemies around the same table to achieve a negotiated settlement. Thank you, God, that you have chosen this, your servant, to be the first president of a democratic South Africa where all of us, black and white together, will count 
not because of irrelevancies such as race, gender, status, or skin color, but because of our intrinsic worth as those created in your image. Tutu died peacefully at the Oasis Frail Care Center in Cape Town. The Archbishop uh, Desmond Tutu Trust said he'd been hospitalized several times since 2015 after being diagnosed with prostate cancer in 1997. Former United States President Barack Obama hailed Tutu as a moral compass for me and so many others. A universal spirit, Archbishop Tutu was grounded in the struggle for liberation and justice in his own country, but also concerned with injustice everywhere. He never lost his impish sense of humor and willingness to find humanity in his adversaries. That was demonstrated at Regis University in Colorado in the 90s, where he had this to say to students at commencement about forgiveness. We shouldn't forget that our victory was over one of the most vicious systems, the most vicious since Nazism. And it is important for us to remember that. To remember that we were fighting against the viciousness of racism, which sought to declare that the value of a human being resided in a biological irrelevance. Skin color, race. I could become a Nobel laureate. I could become Archbishop of the Church of God. But in the land of my birth, I was treated like dirt. And it tends to go along with other things. Homophobia. It is birth of a feather. The same passion with which I have fought against racism, I will fight against homophobia. Matthew Shepard was killed. Not very far from here. I can tell you that for me, I would reject Jesus if he was amongst those who wanted to exclude people because of their sexual orientation. I would, I would say this is not the Jesus that I have come to worship as my Lord and Master. Because I know that my Jesus would be there with those who are ostracized, who are treated as if they were rubbish. Tutu condemned successive U.S. presidents for refusing to acknowledge that Israel has nuclear weapons in recent years, even though United States law calls for a cutoff of funds to nuclear weapons proliferators. Uh, 
Tutu wrote that U.S. taxpayer funds to Israel exceed that to any other country. Adjusted for inflation, the publicly known amount over the years now is approaching $300 billion. Wrote Tutu, this farce should end. The United States government should uphold its laws and cut off funding to Israel because of its acquisition and proliferation of nuclear weapons. The former president of Trans-Africa is Bill Fletcher Jr. He spoke with WBAI earlier today. He echoes Tutu's sentiments. Describe him as a fighter and profound internationalist and human rights activist, as well as a theologian, obviously. We're entering a period, and this happens after the death of almost all good progressive leaders, that the larger establishment attempts to soften them, soften the memory of them, and make them characters that appear to be more consistent with the objectives of the establishment. That would be the danger in the case of the memory of Archbishop Tutu. And that's one of the reasons that this article concerning Israel and nuclear weapons is very important. Tutu was consistently in support of Palestinian rights. This is not something that just happened in the last week or a few months. He's been consistently. But this is something that the larger mainstream media has chosen to ignore. So they basically place Tutu in a certain kind of historic box. And that box is the anti-apartheid movement. And as long as you have him focused on the criminality of South African apartheid, he's acceptable as far as the mainstream media is concerned. But when Tutu started speaking out beyond that apartheid box, that's when the cone of silence goes down and we don't hear his voices unless you seek alternative media and i think that that's why it's going to be very important that we remember and we cherish the real importance the value the humanity of archbishop tutu he talked about israel as an apartheid state basically the silence of the world in the face of nuclear proliferation by this one country well, that's correct. I mean, ever since the 1960s, when Israel started developing and experimenting with nuclear weapons, the United States has been strangely silent about this. The fact that Israel has not signed the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty, the fact that no president will acknowledge that uh, Israel has nuclear weapons. So one of the things for which I was furious with uh, former President Obama, uh, that the, the failure to acknowledge that there is a nuclear weapons threat in the Middle East, and that threat is represented by Israel. They're the ones that have the nuclear weapons. They're the ones who have not signed a nuclear non-proliferation treaty. It's not like the possibility of nuclear weapons in Iran, as an example. It's the reality of that. But on top of that, what uh, should really have settled the question was the collaboration between Israel and, South, and the apartheid South African regime in the development of weapons of mass destruction. This is documented. This is not something that someone made up. This is not, quote-unquote, alternative facts. It's documented. And what Tutu was pointing, out, uh, was pointing out was that that silence represents an immense level of hypocrisy on the part of various U.S. presidencies, as well as other so-called Western democracies who have refused to come out and say, Israel has nuclear weapons. This is, this is not something that should be tolerated. 
there should be a denuclearization of the Middle East. If, if, if Iran cannot have nuclear weapons, Israel shouldn't have nuclear weapons. No one should have nuclear weapons. And I think that, uh, that, that uh, Archbishop Tutu is making that point, as well as elevating the whole question of the Israeli apartheid regime, which many people in the U.S. and the uh, liberal establishment for sure, but certainly in conservative sectors like the Christian Zionists, they don't want to hear such discussion. Desmond Tutu and forgiveness, uh, that's something you don't really hear in America today where people are so polarized and, and we have a growing trail of blood. What are, where does something like forgiveness fit in? Forgiveness has a role as long as it's connected with the truth. So, and this is something we can learn from many great leaders. Uh, Archbishop Tutu is one. Martin Luther King uh, obviously was another. That forgiveness in the abstract is meaningless. But connected with the truth, it's very, very important. In other words, acknowledging the truth, acknowledging the truth about history. If you acknowledge the truth about history, then you can move from that to rectification and then reconciliation, which I connect the issue of forgiveness. But you have to first acknowledge the truth. There is no equivalence. The lynchings that have happened to people of color throughout history. This is simply no comparison. There is no equivalence. That's what's really important. You start with the truth, and then you can get to forgiveness. If people carry out atrocities and simply say, I wish to be forgiven, what does that mean? If people carry out slavery and have enslaved people, and then they wish forgiveness before they encounter God, what does that mean? It means nothing. There's going to be an easy way for people to change the essence of Tutu by focusing on forgiveness as an abstraction. No, it was connected with the issue of the truth. Get to the truth, and then you can get to forgiveness. Bill Fletcher Jr. is the former head of TransAfrica. Meanwhile, reconciliation is far from the agenda on the West Bank as Israeli forces clash with Palestinians in an area that has seen a recent uptick in friction. That's according to the Israeli military and Palestinian medics. The clashes late yesterday were part of days of tension in the area surrounding a West Bank settlement outpost and a spike in violence elsewhere in the West Bank and East Jerusalem. These are sounds from a video showing Palestinian youth responding to shots with burning tires and rocks. The Palestinian Red Crescent said 10 people were wounded by live fire. The Palestinian Health Ministry said one of them, a 17-year-old, was seriously wounded. Dozens of others were wounded by rubber bullets. And the United States and Israel need a common strategy as world powers negotiate a new nuclear deal with Iran. That's according to White House National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan, who spoke about a meeting with Israeli Prime Minister Naftali Bennett and other security officials in Jerusalem. He said the meeting comes at a critical juncture of both uh, for both of our countries on a major set of security issues. 
we define the parameters of that program in the JCPOA. So let's get back to that because that actually sets the bars and limits well, well, well short of the acquisition sure. of a nuclear weapon. Second, and equally importantly, sometimes you just need to speak in plain English and say what's true. And it's true that um, we uh, um, have as the object of our policy to prevent Iran from acquiring a nuclear weapon. It's straightforward. It's simple. Um, it's clear. Uh, and it helps organize the combination of diplomacy and deterrence that we brought to the table. And that's Jake Sullivan. He's a national security advisor. World powers in Iran renewed negotiations in Vienna last month to restore an agreement to curb Iran's nuclear program. Negotiations took a pause last week to allow Iran's negotiator to return to Tehran for consultations. Bennett said that what happens in Vienna has profound ramifications for stability of the Middle East and the security of Israel for the upcoming years. The original deal struck in 2015 offered Iran relief from sanctions in exchange for restrictions on its nuclear program. The agreement unraveled after the United States unilaterally withdrew in 2018. That was President, uh, former President Donald Trump who was responsible for that and uh, reimposed the crippling sanctions on Iran. Meanwhile, in a uh, in another story that's sort of parallel to this related, uh, Iran accused Israel of sabotage has been accusing Israel of sabotage uh, that's been targeting its nuclear facility near Tehran. Uh, the authorities in Iran had announced in June last summer that they had uh, prevented saboteurs from approaching the site located in the city of Karaj, about 25 miles northwest of the Iranian capital. They gave no details about what the targeted building belonging to Iran's atomic energy agency contained or how it was targeted. The films did show damage to it. The Iranian officials then, uh, as part of that investigation, removed cameras that were placed at their facility overlooking the centrifuges that enrich uranium into the more highly enriched form that could possibly use for a bomb. Those cameras were removed by the uh, Iranians with little fanfare and just recently, in the last day or two, replaced with new ones, which the Iranians now claim pass their security requirements. Rafael Grossi, who's the director of the IAEA, spoke to this yesterday. It is absurd to believe or to say that the IAEA cameras will be part of some sort of sabotage. That is number one. Number two, these uh, cameras do not have any transmitter, any beacon that can be used in the way that it was alleged. That was, and that was Rafael Grossi. And another spokesperson, a member of the uh, group that's negotiating, the European group that's negotiating with the United States and Iran, Enrica Mora, had this to say about the possibility that there might be a settlement in the and a rejoining by Iran. We don't have much time. There is an obvious sense of urgency in everything we do here. So uh, we will resume. We will resume soon, and we will be, I hope, uh, having the final tranche of these negotiations. The lead Iranian. That was Enrique More, who is on the. Uh, group, the committees that are uh, trying to negotiate a re-entrance of Iran into the JCPOA group, the joint coalition that's um, Anthony Blinken, the Secretary of State, was uh, speaking about his uh, about United States relations with Russia uh, the other day on Friday, and he was speaking in particular about uh, some words that the Russian President Putin had in his year-ender press conference about the poor state of relations between the United States 
and um, and Russia. Blinken, for his own, said, really, it's in Russia's hands. What they do will determine whether the United States and Russia's relations improve. It's been extremely clear for many, many years about some basic principles that no one uh, is, is, is moving back on. The principle that uh, one country does not have the, uh, the right to change by force the borders of another. Uh, that one country does not have the right to dictate the policies uh, of another or to, tell, or to tell that country with whom it may associate. Uh, one country does not have the right to exert a sphere of influence. Uh, that notion should be relegated to the dustbin of history. Um, and those principles are inviolate. They're very clear. The president's held them for a long time. Uh, that's not going to change. And as Secretary of State Anthony Blinken. And in more news uh, across the world, if there's any country that uh, culturally just loves to do Christmas and take Christmas to whatever extremes it can, it's England and United Kingdom. And yesterday was no different. And uh, that was followed. Sorry about that. That was a longer cut, not the edited version. And then Queen Elizabeth spoke. She gave her rear, uh, her uh, year ender. And it was uh, I think it was interesting because she spoke of the passing of her husband, Prince Philip, and uh, she's in her 90s and uh, looked back on Christmas and did her job for the British people, which is basically to uh, to help them face uh, life on this Christmas during covid. Christmas can be hard for those who have lost loved ones. This year especially, I understand why. But for me, in the months since the death of my beloved Philip, I have drawn great comfort from the warmth and affection of the many tributes to his life and work from around the country, the Commonwealth, and the world. His sense of service, intellectual curiosity, and capacity to squeeze fun out of any situation were all irrepressible. That mischievous inquiring twinkle was as bright at the end as when I first set eyes on him. But life, of course, consists of final partings as well as first meetings. And as much as I and my family miss him, I know he would want us to enjoy Christmas. We felt his presence as we, like millions around the world, readied ourselves for Christmas. While COVID again means we can't celebrate quite as we may have wished, we can still enjoy the many happy traditions. Be it the singing of carols, as long as the tune is well known, decorating the tree, giving and receiving presents, or watching a favorite film where we already know the ending. Queen Elizabeth. President Biden also had a Christmas message. 
I just want you to know how much we care. We're grateful for your courage, your sacrifice. Not only your sacrifice, but your family's sacrifice. I get criticized for saying this occasionally, but you're the solid steel spine of the nation. You really are. Always vigilant, always ready when duty calls 365 days a year. And during the holiday season, as we pray for peace and spread joy and glad tidings, we also look for hope toward the possibility of a better year. President Biden speaking to the troops for Christmas. But when he took some questions from uh, the NORAD base, you know, which tracks Santa Claus, he took some uh, listener questions, so to speak, over the phone. Parents, one of those parents who got on, started out in a genial manner, but then something said something at the end that was quite ugly. Penelope, she, she's only two, so I think she'd be happy oh. with just about eight. Oh, that's great. Well, that's great. Yeah, oh, that's wonderful that you have a two-year-old. Well, well, have a Merry Christmas. Have a mm-hmm. wonderful Christmas. And by the way, you guys have to be in bed by Thank 9 you. o'clock, you know, and asleep between by 9 night. and 12, or he doesn't show up. This isn't to you, Jared. <laughs> this is to the kids. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope you have a wonderful hey, Christmas. Well, yeah, I hope you guys have a wonderful Christmas as well. Oh, Merry thank Christmas you. and let's go, Brandon. Let's go, Brandon. I <laughs> yeah. agree. Hey, by the way, where are you in Oregon? Let's go, Brandon is a right wing meme well known on the Internet and across America. It means F you, Biden. And that's some of the news for Sunday, December 26, 2021. The news is produced by Linda Perry, our engineer is Max Schmid. From New York City, I'm Paul DiRienzo. Thanks for joining us.